nothing in life is going to be linear and eating disorder recovery especially. There are lots of highs and there are lots of lows. And that's what I tell everybody. You choose to recover every single day. You choose to wake up and to live the best version of yourself and to live a version of yourself that's free of judgment and of numbers and of all of the things that contribute to an eating disorder physically and an eating disorder mentally. It's not perfect all the time and I'm not going to promise that it is, but if you choose to evolve and choose to recover, it does get better. The good days outweigh the bad ones so much more as you choose to recover. You're listening to Say Yes to You with me, Just Ange Marie, a podcast focused on inspiring you to say yes to you, your life, and your happiness. Let's say yes to showing up genuinely, authentically, and unapologetically to become a better, stronger version of you one episode at a time. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Say Yes To You podcast. My name is Ange, I'm your host, and today I have a very special interview plans that I am so excited for. I know I say that about all my interviews, but I mean, I just have some great guests, what can I say? Today I am talking to my friend Rebecca, who I met through Instagram, and her Instagram name is BB Health Fit. So that is what I know her as, that is what you will know her as when you follow her. After listening to this amazing episode, where we talk about everything related to eating disorder recovery. Rebecca is all about food, sweat, happiness, positivity, meals, brews, traveling. She loves F45. If you're an F45 gal or guy, she is all about F45. And she is from Stamford, Connecticut. When Rebecca started her Instagram, it was originally focused on sharing her eating disorder recovery journey. She honestly used it as somewhat of a meal log where she would post multiple times a day her meals and her food, holding herself accountable for macro tracking and recovering from her eating disorder. Now Rebecca's food is a little bit more laid back. She is an intuitive eater. After tracking her macros for a certain amount of time, she began to know the foods that she likes to eat in what portion she likes to eat them in and just a lot more about her body and mind and how they function. That is all I'm going to say for today and I'm just going to get right into the interview. So here is my wonderful conversation with Rebecca, BB Health Fit. All right, so I'm officially on the phone with Rebecca and I am super excited to be doing this interview today. Rebecca and I, I mean, first of all, I should ask, should I be calling you Rebecca or do you go by something else? (laughs) You can call me Rebecca, Becca, either is fine. Okay, cool. Because I know my full name is Angelina, but I usually go by Ange and then people will call me Angie, Angela, Angelica, officially on the phone with Rebecca. And I'm super excited about this interview today. We actually met through Instagram. I just love Instagram for that reason, where you can connect with people and form like real relationships and real friendships, even though it's through an app. We've been following each other ever since I started my account. So that's how we know each other. And Rebecca, can you just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself for people that don't know you, don't follow you, are not familiar with you? Sure. My name is Rebecca. That's technically like my corporate name, I guess. A little bit more about me. I'm 25. I live in Connecticut, a small city in Connecticut. And I am by day a marketing professional. I work for a very large corporate company. And then, you know, outside of that, I love health and fitness. I love food. I love beer and trying new beers and new restaurants and new food. And I really just qualify myself as just a foodie who likes to work out, who likes movement, who likes, 
you know, living the healthiest lifestyle. And when I say healthiest, I don't just mean, you know, physically in tip-top shape. I don't actually mean that at all. I just mean the healthiest version of myself in terms of my physical health, feeling good every single day, uh, my mental health, making sure that my headspace is as clear as it can be and in a good place emotional health, just being the best version of myself and constantly evolving. And that's really like what my core is about. My Instagram, BB Health Fit, I created a couple of years ago, and I created that with the intention of documenting my journey with eating disorder recovery. And that's what I have tried to be about as best I can on social media, which is obviously where Ange and I connected. So when I first created my Instagram, it was Fitness by Ange, and I think that's when you found me. And I used to post a lot about things that are similar to you right now, just like food, fitness, all of that. When you first created your Instagram, were you posting about the same exact things that you're posting about right now? Or have you had some kind of a shift in either like the photos you post or the content, like the captions that you write? What has that been like for you? So just to give a little bit more of a backstory before I even hop into the Instagram side of things, I, for a long time, have struggled with body image and with my relationship with my body physically and my relationship with food. I don't know when specifically I started to develop these unhealthy thoughts about my body and about food, but I can remember a time in fifth grade where I was in the cafeteria and I was looking at the calories on like, I don't even know what it was, a bag of chips or a muffin, something that I had bought. And you're 10 years old in the fifth grade. And that is my earliest memory of of even trying to control and quantify food. Any 10-year-old, I think, isn't normally or hopefully isn't normally looking at the calories in the food that they're eating and trying to track that. But that is my earliest memory of doing so. So I had a rocky time in middle school and in high school with my relationship with my body. And I think at that point when you're so young, the age of 10 to the age of 18, I really didn't even know that my relationship with my body was not normal. Like a lot of girls that age are obviously commenting on the way that they look. They're worried about the way that they look. They're worried about their weight. I was a really active kid and I played soccer and lacrosse through high school. So I was never stereotypically like out of shape, but I was always concerned about the way that I looked. So growing up with that mentality, and I think a lot of things come into it, I'm not a professional in terms of eating disorders and recovery, but I'm just sharing my experience. I think a lot of factors go into developing a relationship over time with your body or with with food that is unhealthy. Like I think it can be environmental. I think it can be based on media um, and the things that we consume as kids. I think it can be other dialogue with other children and hearing the dialogue of parents and older generations that obviously really impact and shape children. Um, I think you can be predisposed to it on the scientific side of things. So there's a lot of different factors that I think impacted my development in terms of which eventually what eventually led to an eating disorder but it started when I was really young is what I'm trying to say in this long tangent so my Instagram I created as sort of a new year's resolution and when I started like I said I was primarily an eating disorder recovery account and I really developed like full force um, binging and purging habits or bulimia in my sophomore year of college and then in my junior year, when I kind of went into my first phase of recovery, 
is when I started the Instagram. And this was before Instagram was as big as it is now. It was definitely gaining popularity. I was a junior in college and we all had Instagrams, but I was able to keep my platform relatively quiet. And it was very much like a meal log. I would post, you know, multiple times a day, sometimes three times, sometimes five times of what I was eating and what I was cooking. And it was at this beginning stage in my eating disorder recovery where it was something to keep me accountable and also to give me an outlet. So to answer your question that you originally asked me, my content has drastically changed because when I started my Instagram, it was totally private. I blocked all of my friends and my family, anyone that I thought could find my account because I was dealing with such a large issue and I didn't want the intricacies of that being known to the people close to me. Um, And now, obviously, four or five years later, it's something completely different than it was. It's a lot of recipes, it's a lot of food, it's a lot of talk about mental health, and it's a lot of just like my day-to-day and less focused on recovery. What was that like for you in college, like the process of binging and purging, and is there anything other than that one memory of childhood that kind of brought that about in college? Yeah, so I think that a lot of factors kind of triggered me to hit a breaking point. Um, I think trauma plays a big role in a lot of things. And I will say my eating disorder was probably the worst around the time that I lost my grandfather, which was that summer going into junior year. Um, It had sparked up more at the end of my sophomore year. I think a lot of it had to do with comparison. And like, I will always say comparison is the thief of joy. If you are comparing yourself to somebody else, comparing your body to somebody else's body, comparing your life to somebody else's life, you will never be happy because there's always going to be somebody that has something different than you do. And you shouldn't want to be like everybody else. But I think I was a sophomore in college. I was looking at other girls, the way that other girls looked versus how I looked. I was creating my own internal pressures in my head, Um, you know, even like the idea of dating and just wanting to be confident, but tying and associating my confidence to the number on a scale and the way that I looked. I think it was a lot of factors that just led to an absolute breaking point. And like, I've always been an active person. I'm still an active person, but I think you have a different relationship with your body in college. I was drinking for the first time. I was not at all a drinker in high school, but when I went to college, we were going out more. We were drinking more. I was no longer an athlete. My body was changing. I didn't know how to stop it from changing. And I think all of these factors just led to a breaking point. Um, And that breaking point was like March, April of my sophomore year of college. I was also an athlete growing up, not so much in high school, but Oh, like growing up, I played so many sports. I always danced. I was always always doing some kind of physical activity. And it's funny how growing up, you just think of it as dance or as a sport. And you're an athlete and you're a track runner or a soccer player. And you don't think of how active you are. And that's like the reason why your body is in the shape that it's in. And then in high school, the only sport that I even tried playing was lacrosse. And I literally did that because I wanted to, one, make more friends and two, become an athlete to get into some kind of like athletic shape. If I like forced myself to go to practice or play games, I was like, you know, that'll be an easier way for me to get into shape. But in college, I didn't play any sports. So I also went through those like your body is changing. You're not an athlete anymore. You're going to look a lot different than you did when you were very active because you were playing a sport. And then also drinking played 
such a huge role in that as well. Honestly, I consumed a lot of like sugary drinks and I didn't realize how much of an impact that had on the way that I looked, but also the way that I felt. So how did you overcome all of those struggles and how long did that take for you? Are you still on that path right now? So I think an important call out is that like other struggles that people go through, like loss and grieving, like addiction, um, you choose recovery every single day. And being, you know, five years out, six years out, I will still choose the right path. And it may not be as conscious of a decision, but it's something that kind of lives in the back of your mind. The same way like losing somebody close to you will stay with you in a certain ways. It'll challenge you and it'll it'll change you and it'll push you to be better. I think that recovery is the same experience. So to answer that question, like, yes, I am still on this path. I think I will be on the path for the rest of my life. I don't think that there will ever be a time where I don't think about my past and my recovery, but I think about it a lot less. So the first thing I'll say in terms of how to get on the right path to recover for those that may be struggling or maybe have an interest in eating disorder recovery is to normalize getting help. And I think that that is the absolute hardest part. We want to hide what we're going through. I hid what I was going through from as many people as I could mostly because I think that when it started, I didn't understand it. Like, I just felt at a total loss of control. Like we said, my body was changing from eating differently and drinking differently. I was living for the first time really in a, um, not so much dorm style, but a complex style apartment on campus with a bunch of other girls and other people around me all the time. It was just a lot to go through. So at first, I shied away from telling anybody. And I shied away from getting help and talking about it and kind of just tried to compartmentalize it the way we do with a lot of things. We just try to put it in a box and not deal with it. And I will say um, I my binge approach habits were probably on the less frequent side of things. Like it would happen here and there. And every time it happened, I just said to myself, I can deal with it. I can deal with it. Um, But it eventually got to the point that summer when I was now home and living with my parents that I realized I could not deal with it anymore. And so the first step, I think, in anybody's recovery process, and it doesn't just have to be in terms of eating disorders, in a recovery process when you're recovering from anything difficult or traumatic, is to talk about it and to get help. And I think that that is the hardest step um, in a lot of different ways. It's hard to open up and talk about what you're going through. And I will say that, like, I did not ever talk to my parents about it. And if I could go back and do it differently, maybe I would have, but it's hard to open up to the people that are so close to you because you don't want to disappoint them. You don't want to make them sad. Um, So I went outside of that. I talked to friends that I felt like I could trust. I, at the time, was working with a personal trainer who has become one of my closest friends. I opened up to him a little bit and talking about it made it real because I think we go through things and they live in our heads and if we don't speak about them, it's almost as if they don't exist and it's just an internal problem that we have. But when I started talking about it to people close to me and started getting references in terms of other people that I could speak to, therapists and professionals, it became real. So my first piece of advice and the biggest piece of advice is to normalize getting help and to open up and to talk to the people that you trust and also trust that they have your best interest at hand. Because at the time, the last thing I wanted to do was go to therapy. But 
at the same time, opening up to the people close to me and getting the recommendation to do so and the push to do so was actually exactly what I needed, even though it was what I was kind of resisting at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And when you say ask for help before you even started talking about therapy, that is the very first thing that I thought of. I went to therapy for the first time over a year ago and I've been off and on with it since, but I've been going to therapy once a week virtually ever since I started quarantining in my parents' house, which was back in March now, which seems so long ago, but I go once a week virtually and it is seriously life-changing and it's one of those things that I say you don't really fully understand it until you actually try it for yourself. So can you talk a little bit more about therapy and how that personally helped you with recovery and if that is the only thing that you really did when you say like ask for help and getting help from other people or are there other things that helped you as well? So I think that there's a whole tool book of things and I'll give some of the things that were really helpful to me but in terms of therapy and just talking to people like I said speaking things out loud makes them real, especially when you're talking to another person. And it kind of, in a way, is almost a little bit of relief. Like, picture, like, every time something stressful happens, every time I binge and purge, every time something else comes up, I'm filling up like a balloon. And it's just everything keeps contributing and contributing and contributing to, like, this overwhelming amount of, like, stress and um, anxiety and depression and eating disorders. And then when you speak to somebody, it's like you let all the air out. And it kind of makes it, it makes it real. I think, like you said, there is um, so many benefits to therapy. It's the ability to, you know, talk without judgment to somebody who is a professional listener and somebody who can give you advice and give you an unbiased opinion. I also think that therapy for me was so important because it increased my self-awareness. And when I was in middle school and in high school and even my first couple of years of college, like I felt like looking back, I had no self-awareness. Like I wasn't aware of how everything was contributing to the way that I felt about my body and my relationship with food. I felt like looking back, I wasn't even aware of how big of a deal my eating disorder was. And like hindsight is always twenty twenty. but I think I'm in a place now where I'm so self-aware. I know when certain things trigger my anxiety. I know certain things to stay away from that may not make me feel the best mentally because I was able to talk about so much of what I went through with a third party. And when you say trigger, that is something that I am literally going through right now. Like I'm only just starting to become that self-aware. I'm literally going day by day, just becoming so in tune with how I'm feeling. Like if I get a migraine, I'm like, okay, what did I do over the past couple hours that could have triggered this migraine? If I'm feeling anxiety, what happened today that could have triggered me to start feeling anxiety and it's almost like looking i don't know if you can agree with this but for me i feel like i'm looking for things outside of myself when beforehand i was just always kind of blaming myself like what did i do what is inside of me that's causing this but now i'm kind of like what is in my surroundings what is in my environment that is causing me to feel this way so Now that you are so self-aware, what are some of the things that, if it's okay to talk about, some of the things that trigger you now and how do you kind of like notice them and catch yourself and 
bounce back from things that trigger you or handle things in a proper way. So I think a big piece of what you just said is absolutely correct. Um, you are, the more self-aware you become, the more you're looking outside of things that pertain to you and understanding how certain external factors affect you. And that's why I recommend talking to other people so much, because if you increase your self-awareness, it makes you be more proactive. I think that, you know, in my first years of college, I was extremely reactionary. I, something would happen, I would react, I would be emotional. But now it's like I'm a couple of years out of college, I'm into my recovery, I'm self-aware, and I'm able to, to be proactive and not exposing myself to things that make me anxious. And I'll give a couple of, of examples, just like you said, um, for example, like a trigger. I sometimes wake up, and I, I guess I should have said this earlier, uh, similarly to you, I have generalized anxiety disorder. I was diagnosed with it, I believe, when I was maybe in my second year of college, again, probably right around the time that I was going through all of this. So I know that I have anxiety. Um, so there are certain things that trigger my anxiety, and sometimes it's triggered by nothing at all. But if I wake up on a bad day and I wake up feeling anxious, I wake up feeling like there's weight on my chest, um, I know that in order to not trigger my anxiety any further than it already is, I will try to plan a day at home if it allows for it. Because for me, going out in a social setting, having to put on a happy face, having to act like I'm not feeling the way that I'm feeling ends up making my anxiety 20 times worse. Another trigger for me in terms of if we're talking more eating disorder recovery specific is older clothes. And I made a note to make sure to talk about this, but like getting rid of old clothes. We are not meant to fit into clothes that fit us when we were a senior in high school, you know, 10 years later, five years later. Um, and I think that for a while, a trigger for me was like putting on a pair of shorts that fit me two summers ago that don't fit me anymore because I am going out and eating out and drinking and living a happy and full life, which as a result for me has included weight gain. So, yeah, I don't fit into a size two pair of jean shorts anymore. I fit into a size six pair of jean shorts now, but my worth is not determined by which jean shorts fit. And so that's a really good example of a trigger. Like if clothes don't fit anymore, donate them. Don't keep them. Don't hang on to them. Don't wish that you were that size again. And again, like everybody's triggers and everybody's tips for avoiding falling into a bad place will be different. But that's a really strong example of one that I um, that I have faced. I could not agree with all of those things more. I personally had to do that as well. I'm always getting rid of things. So I try to never have old clothes that used to fit me that might not fit me anymore in my closet. And I just absolutely love that idea. And I think it's so good for your mental health. But has there ever been a time where you caught yourself like trying on that old pair of jean shorts or like an old dress and it didn't fit you anymore? And that ever send you into a spiral where you would alter the way that you were eating or the way that you were exercising in order to fit into that pair of old clothing again? Absolutely. I mean, like anything, there are seasons of high and seasons of low. Like, it, nothing in life is going to be linear and eating disorder recovery, especially. There are lots of highs and there are lots of lows. And I think the phase that I'm there, the phrase that I'm looking for is called pseudo recovery, where like you think you're in recovery, you're not 
physically meeting the criteria for being in an eating disorder anymore. So for example, somebody who's anorexic, once they become weight restored and they're at a normal and healthy weight for their height, their age, their gender, et cetera, they are considered recovered. Same thing with bulimia or binge purging. Once you stop doing the action of binging and purging, like technically you're recovered because you're not doing that action that qualifies as an eating disorder anymore. However, I think recovery goes much further than just becoming weight restored, looking quote unquote typical or normal and not doing the things that make it an eating disorder anymore, like starving or binge purging or whatever it might be. Um, I think it goes much beyond that. It's, it's a lot of years of mental training to have a better relationship with food and have a better relationship with your body. Yes, I have definitely faced periods of my life where I have said, like, I'm recovered because, again, I'm not, like, going through the action that qualified me as having an eating disorder. But um, there were a lot of periods where, like, for example, I tracked macronutrients. So I tracked my carbs, proteins, fats, and calories that were going into my body. Um, And that actually kind of helped me recover in a way because, it helped me learn the science behind food. It helped me understand, okay, well, like, vegetables have, you know, a lot of nutrients. They have some carbs. Avocados have higher, healthier fats. Um, and it, it broke down food for me. But, like, I always say the the most recovered version of myself and the healthiest version of myself is an intuitive eater. And for those who don't know, intuitive eating is just following your hunger cues and not overanalyzing food. And I'm sure that there's a more um, a more professional uh, description for that. But that's how it is to me. It's just eating when I'm hungry, eating what I want to eat when I want to eat it, and stopping when I'm full and not thinking about it any more than that. So I've reached that point in a lot of times in my life. I have obviously, like anybody else, also have had low points where, you know, I felt like I've taken steps backwards. I've put on the old pair of shorts. I feel uncomfortable in my body. And I think that those moments of lows and moments of weakness challenge us to rise to the occasion and to become stronger and to become better. I'll say as my eating disorder recovery has evolved and moved along over the last couple of years, those moments are very few and far between. And that's what I tell everybody. You choose to recover every single day. You choose to wake up and to live the best version of yourself and to live a version of yourself that's free of judgment and of numbers and of all of the things that contribute to an eating disorder physically and an eating disorder mentally. You may have moments of weakness. And again, that's not limited to just eating disorder recovery. That's limited to any challenge you'll go through. Um, They just, as you continue to evolve and you continue to choose to move forward, they just come less and less. But like nothing is perfect and nothing is linear. And that's what I always tell people who may be um, a little fresher into eating disorder recovery is that like you can like look at me and follow me and know that it gets better. It's not perfect all the time and I'm not going to promise that it is. But if you choose to evolve and choose to recover, it does get better. I have slid into intuitive eating as well. Can you please talk more about intuitive eating and I guess how you build a plate of food right now versus how you would build a plate of food when you were going through your eating disorder before you were reaching any kind of point of recovery or when you were tracking macros? Like, How did you make that shift from that point in your life to the intuitive eating point in your life that you're at now? Yeah, so I mean, before I started my recovery, 
I honestly, it's a little foggy in terms of how I even ate. I think I was just restrictive. I packed a lot of meals. I ate a lot of bro foods like chicken and asparagus and tilapia, um, just being in a not great place with food. When I started my recovery is when I started to track macros. So that's when I really learned how the science behind food works. I used my fitness pal and I always say, you know, that was a tool that helped me in recovery. It broke down food for me and made it less emotional and more um, scientific. But I'm by no means recommending that because I know that there are people who have the total opposite effect to me. And like the numbers and the science and the tracking makes them feel much worse. So that's just what worked for me. I tracked macros for, I don't know, probably two years. Um, on and off throughout my recovery. And I really just built my plate of food based on what I wanted that quote unquote fit into my macros. And looking back on it, I understand that this was definitely not the most recovered version of myself because I was still limiting what I can eat to an extent, but I was eating a healthy plate of food every single day. I was eating probably upwards of 2000 calories. I felt good. I was fueled. I was working out. I was lifting. So that was like kind of the first phase of my recovery. And I ate a lot of vegetables, but like in college, like I ate a lot of lean cuisines too. And that had less to do with the eating disorder and more to do with the fact that I had no idea what I was doing in the kitchen. So flash, flash, fast forward to now, how I kind of transitioned out of macros and into intuitive eating. Um, I, again, went through a lot of life changes. And I think a lot of transitions kind of affect everything in your life. But I graduated college, I moved into an apartment in Connecticut. And I started listening to my body more. Um, I started eating when I was hungry, and not just like eating when I woke up, and I would have a coffee in the morning and that would make me a little less hungry. So then I would eat my breakfast a little later. But I started to just like listen to my hunger cues and only eat when I was hungry and not snack because I was bored or have breakfast first thing in the morning because I wanted to make sure I had enough time for lunch. Um, so the first, the first tip for my transition into intuitive eating was just actually listening to my body. And then from there, it was honestly pretty easy because I had such a strong base of knowledge of the science behind food, again, in terms of fats, carbs, proteins, nutrients, and I knew which foods I liked. So I just started stocking my fridge with lots of vegetables, but also some of the other things that I like, lots of snacks. And I just, I don't know, I guess I just like listened to my body and just stopped with all the numbers. I actually am remembering right now that a big reason why I stopped tracking macros was because the batteries in my scale died and I was too lazy to replace them. And that was kind of like the breaking point. I was just like, oh, I can do this. I have a good idea of what serving sizes are based on, you know, my previous knowledge of tracking. I know which foods make my body feel good and which foods don't. And I kind of just transitioned into it from there. And I have a really strong belief that we should not label food as good and bad. I think that we have a tendency to say, you know, carbs are bad, processed foods are bad, but I think everything in moderation works. And I think that the healthiest foods for you are what makes your body feel good. I always say like, I eat pasta five times a week for dinner. I love pasta. It's one of my favorite foods. And pasta has this negative reputation because it's um, a lot of carbs, but in no way do I think we should demonize carbs. Carbs fuel us. They make us feel good. I am in like, you know, some of the best places in my life when I'm eating the foods that make me feel good. And a lot of our 
mental health and our physical health is connected to the foods we eat. So I think that eating the foods that you like and make you feel good is a really important factor in being quote unquote healthy. Literally everything that you post on Instagram looks absolutely amazing. So I don't know how you could even answer this question, but what are some of your favorite foods or some of your favorite meals to make now that you're not tracking things and you have the freedom to just kind of throw things together on your plate whenever you are hungry and you know what you like to eat? What are some of your favorite all-time meals that you like to eat? Um, this is a hard question because, again, I love food. So I'm, I'm not biased when it comes to food. I think that in terms of making food, I, again, like I said, I love pasta. I love pesto, which I get from Trader Joe's. Um, I love just doing, like, pasta in olive oil with a protein, whether it be shrimp or chicken and spinach. Um, when I go out to eat, like, again, I don't believe in limiting or restricting based on my past with food so I order whatever I'm feeling and a lot of times it's bar food like I love a good plate of nachos in front of me so it really depends on the day I mean some people say they follow an 80-20 I don't really keep track of like the percent of healthy food versus the percent of unhealthy food I eat again I don't think that that's a good mindset for myself to be in but I will say at home you know I try to eat a lot of vegetables and fruits I try to eat good sources of protein. I'm a big seafood person. I love scallops. I love shrimp. Um, but when I go out to eat, especially like with things that I can't make at home, I love to get like a plate of nachos or a good pizza, like things that I can't or that I'm not great at making at home. So there's absolutely no restrictions with me. And I will say I am not a picky eater at all. Like I'll try anything and everything. So pretty much everything is on the table when it comes to food. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I love that you are not restrictive when you go out to eat. Was there a past version of you? I know there was definitely a past version of myself where you would get to a restaurant, you would sit down, you would look at a menu, and you would look at everything in terms of like, what is the healthiest thing for me? Like, what is the thing that will fill me up a little bit, but also not make me gain weight? Was there ever a past version of you that did that and was like restrictive when you went out to eat? Eating out for me was the biggest struggle, I think, because in that phase where, like, I thought I was recovered and I was saying I was recovered when I was tracking macros and calories, you can't track when you go out to eat. And I know some people will say that you can, but anything you quote-unquote track is really just a guesstimate when you're eating in a restaurant. You don't know how much oil, how much went into the food, or how the, the method in which it was prepared. So I have a lot of not-so-great memories in my first six months to a year of recovery where I would go out to a restaurant, order a garden salad because that did not have anything besides vegetables in it and bring my own tracked salad dressing. And those are not times that I'm proud of. And I, I don't even know who that girl is anymore, but that was a kind of step in my recovery. And I think that going out to eat, being uncomfortable with it, made me take the steps outside of my comfort zone to start just like eating normally off the menu and everything takes time but again like you have to choose recovery like there was a period of time where I would always bring my own salad dressing and get salads because that felt like the easiest thing to do it was the most controlled thing to do and honestly, it was kind of normalized. Like during the time that I was recovering from my eating disorder, I followed a lot of like bikini competitors and fitness influencers on Instagram. And 
there were weird things or things that I think are weird that were like totally normalized in those communities, like bringing your own salad dressing, bringing a scale to Chipotle and like weighing out the rice that went into it. And like now I look at those things and I'm like, you know, to me that that was totally unhealthy. But at the time, it seems like it wasn't. And there was I don't know what day it was, but there was one day where I decided that I wasn't going to let the past remnants of my eating disorder control me and I was going to order something else off the menu. And honestly, I haven't really looked back. I'm sure that there have been days where I've been anxious about eating out um, in the past and where I maybe didn't have such a great day, but the good days outweigh the bad ones so much more as you choose to recover. I absolutely love that. And I think that was so well said. I wanted to ask you if somebody that's listening to this right now thinks that they may have an eating disorder, but they're not sure and they're not sure what to do or where to start. Was there any way that you knew that you were living with an eating disorder and you, that you needed to get help? Or was it just kind of like a confusion for you? I'm sure that you have an answer to this. So if somebody's listening to this right now and they think that they may have an eating disorder, but they're not sure, what would you say to them? I would say it's better to be safe than sorry and that you should always, even if you feel like something's a little off, if you feel like you are having more anxiety around food or around your body, if you feel something shift, it's always better to talk about it and to understand it than to push it down. Um, and I will say I know that, you know, the idea of talking to people and therapy may seem difficult in a lot of regards. It's difficult to get yourself to open up and to get yourself even in the door. But I also know that, like, finding therapy is difficult financially. It's difficult if you have insurance or don't have insurance. So for me, I think a great starting point was, and I know that this will only apply to a certain demographic, but for me, a a great starting point was going to counseling in college. So I went to my health center in college. I was lucky that my parents helped me go to a private university that had a really well-funded and well-managed um, like counseling center of sorts that had therapists on site that you could make appointments with and see on a regular basis. I also think that there are a plethora of resources online, and I know, Ange, you can probably even talk to this, that are more cost-efficient than going to an office, but give you almost the same experience. You're able to video chat with um, professionals. You're able to text with professionals. You can choose the frequency in which you do so. So I, I feel like therapy as a whole feels like a big undertaking to a lot of people, and Maybe it is, but I will also say there are resources in a lot of places that we might not think of that can help us just work through some of the confusion or the changes that shift in our mind. I also went to a counselor in my college and I could not recommend that more. And I feel like talking to a counselor is kind of like breaking the ice with therapy because it's not quote unquote like adult therapy, like you're still at college, it's still like a source provided to you by your college. It's not you on your own driving to a therapist's office, but it is just like breaking the ice because it gives you a good idea of what therapy is like. I feel like it made it a little less scary for me so that when I started going to therapy my second semester of my senior year and I was no longer on campus, no longer going to a counselor, I was at least open to the idea. And the more affordable thing that you said I could speak to, I will speak to it really quick, I always recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a website that I literally found through listening to podcasts because podcast people advertise it so much. 
So I always heard advertisements about it and I almost used it, but then I ended up going to a therapist in person. But whenever somebody will ask me like, hey, what is therapy like for you? Especially in quarantine, a lot of people are asking like, what is virtual therapy like? Is it worth it? Does it help you? I don't know if I should start going to therapy or not. I'm like, one, you should start. And two, if you are someone that is having trouble with finances or you don't have insurance or anything along those lines, if the thought of seeking out a therapist just overwhelms you, I personally have a friend that looked up BetterHelp and started going to therapy within like four days after getting connected with a therapist. So I won't speak too much into that, but BetterHelp is probably the easiest way that you could start going to therapy and get matched with a customized therapist that will like know you and meets your needs. They don't match you with like a random person and you can also pay for it by yourself, I think like weekly or monthly or something like that. So um, I feel like we've talked a lot about health and your eating disorder and I'm really grateful for that and I'm really happy that you've been so open and so honest about the things that you've gone through. I am so confident that somebody listening to this right now is relating to you and is benefiting from the things that you're saying. And I also want to talk about fitness because your thing is BB Health Fit and I know that you are also extremely active and you are an ambassador for F45, if that's right. And I just wanted you to talk about what exercising was like for you during your eating disorder and what exercising is like for you now, if there was ever a difference with that and just go all into everything fitness. Sure. So I, like you said, I love fitness and um, the BB Health Fit, like that's my Instagram username. I like, I should take notes from you and evolve with my handle and change my handle. But the reason why it's BB Health Fit is just because that's what I chose six years ago. And I don't want to change it because I'm afraid people won't realize it's me anymore. So maybe I can look into that because so much of my life is not fitness anymore. Um, But it's still a big part of who I am. So I honestly never had an irregular relationship with fitness during my eating disorder. And I know that some people do. So again, take everything I say with a grain of salt to those listening, because this is really just my experience and everybody's experience is going to be different. But for me, fitness actually was something that really helped me in my recovery because it was a new passion point that I didn't know I had. Like I said, I was an athlete for all of middle school and high school. I went to college. I had no idea what I was doing in a gym. I would just do the elliptical for two hours a day, I guess. And it was the summer going into my sophomore year, I started training with a personal trainer. Um, He, to this day, is one of my now lifelong friends. His name is Josh. And him and his wife, Fawn, are both trainers. And he taught me the fundamentals of lifting weights and learning that gave me an outlet. Um, A lot of people will say this, but like the gym was my therapy before I started going to therapy. And it wasn't by any means a substitute for that, but it was a place where I could go and I never worried about anything. And I just focused on lifting and hitting my goals, listening to music. So I have always had a good relationship with fitness. I was never the type that really over-exercised. I definitely forced myself to run on the treadmill when I didn't want to, and I don't do that anymore. But other than that, really, I never had a bad relationship with fitness. Um, And if anything, as I've kind of evolved over the past five or six years, so has my relationship with the gym. I have 
at times lifted really heavy. I've deadlifted, you know, twice my body weight, squatted twice my body weight with my trainer. Um, I graduated college and, and moved to Connecticut, and I would independently lift a little bit lighter. And then I really got into F45, which is what you mentioned in terms of me being an ambassador. F45 is a um, studio-style training. It's high-intensity interval training. Every day is a different workout, a different style of workout. There's cardio, there's strength, there's a hybrid of both. And I'm an ambassador here in Stanford for F45 Stanford Harbor Point. And um, that just gives me, again, like a place to go and clear my head, a place to also meet a community, which is something that I didn't experience when I would go to the gym and lift, because you really don't speak to people when you have your headphones in and you're lifting weights. But F45 is different in that you're going in with a group of people, you are training with a group of people, pushing each other, high-fiving before quarantine um, between stations, and just really like meeting people that have the same interests as you. So not only do I love fitness, but I always say when you're moving to a new city or you're moving somewhere and you're looking to meet new people, um, group exercise, if that's something you enjoy, whether it's F45 or a different form of group exercise, is a great way to meet like-minded people to you. So fitness is a part of who I am. It's not, you know, it's not like as a whole everything in my life, but it makes up a big part of who I am and what I love to do. I think that... I've asked you almost everything that I wanted to ask you, and I've talked about everything that I had in my head, but is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap things up? I don't think so. I appreciate uh, the chance to kind of share my story, and I will say that sharing your story doesn't come with as much ease as individuals may think. Um, you you kind of grow and evolve and you come to terms with everything that you've been through. So I don't want anyone listening to, to this to think that this is just easy. Um, it's definitely like looking into your past and looking at how much you've grown. It's a challenging thing. But the more you challenge yourself, the more you'll change. And that's one of my favorite quotes is that growth and comfort do not coexist. So if you are feeling super uncomfortable, you're feeling like you're in a place in your life that you're not really sure what's next or you're not relaxed or feeling your best, know that a season of growth is probably coming. And know that you're not alone in whatever you're going through. I used to talk a lot about mental health on my platform, and I think that just as I've evolved and changed, my content has too, or I don't talk about it as much as I used to. But the point that I always hammer home, no matter what, is that you are not alone. There are people out there going through the same things as you. There are people out there who are professionals who can help you. And it just takes that first step of speaking to somebody and reaching out to a friend or an old classmate or somebody that you trust and knowing in your heart that even though you could feel like you're totally by yourself, you never will be. I love that. And I think that listening to this, somebody out there might feel alone, but hearing you say that, now they know that they're not alone. And if you were somebody that somebody listening wants to talk to and reach out to, where could they find you and where could they have a conversation with you if maybe they're struggling and they want to talk to you about what you've gone through and what they're going through? Absolutely. My door is always open. My DMs are always open. My Instagram handle is bb.helpfit. 
And like I said, I'm always open and willing to talk about my story, share my experiences, and hopefully give some positive feedback to those who may need it. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I had so much fun talking with Rebecca about her eating disorder recovery journey, where her lifestyle and mindset are at now, and how everything has changed over the years. Being somebody that followed her back in 2017 and it's now 2020, it's been so much fun to see how she has grown and evolved literally just through the content that she posts. And if you don't follow Rebecca already, one last time, her Instagram is bb.healthfit. If you don't follow her already, now is the time. You don't want to miss out on her content. That is all I've got for you guys today. I will talk to you next Friday. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.